0: Does Kentucky football have a legitimate path to the college football playoff? Turns out they do. And it's not as difficult as you might think. We're going to talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated, for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. On today's episode of Locked on Kentucky, going to be discussing the Wildcats' path to the college football playoff. It's not as difficult as some of you out there may think. We're going to talk about what needs to slash what would be nice uh, to if it were to happen, uh, if the Wildcats were going to make it to the playoff. We're also going to talk about the SEC East. We're going to power rank the division. We're going to talk about kind of what's going on, kind of project things moving forward. And then finally, going to get to your post-game thoughts for the Kentucky-Florida game. Been going through some YouTube comments. Really, really, really uh, excited about some of the uh, responses that you had uh, on yesterday's show, the recap show of Kentucky's victory over uh the the gators you can find that over on our YouTube channel or on your podcast feed if you're listening there. But let's go ahead and get into it. Kentucky football's path to the playoff. I think that there are seven different things that either need to happen, like they have to happen in order for the Wildcats to make it, or they would be nice to happen and they would solidify what could be a playoff berth for Mark Stoops and company. I'm gonna go through here before I get to the seven different things that I think may potentially need to happen. I'm gonna go through the contenders. We're going to split this into two different categories because I think that there is a tier of teams above the others that have more of a legitimate shot to get in. And that first tier consists of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan, Oklahoma, and USC. Those are the teams that I think legitimately have a top-tier shot to make the college football playoff. The other contenders are Oklahoma State, Michigan State, North Carolina State, Arkansas, Utah, BYU and Penn State. Those are the other contenders, but I truly believe those first what seven teams are the ones that Kentucky is going to be truly battling battling against. So, what needs to happen or what would be what would aid Kentucky's path to the playoff? Well, for one, Kentucky has to win the SEC East and go undefeated at minimum. Well, technically they don't have to go undefeated, but It would be really nice if the Wildcats went undefeated in conference play. This would mean winning out, right? We've got games against Ole Miss, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Missouri that are going to be really tough, but this specifically means getting past the Georgia Bulldogs on November 19th. Or it would mean Georgia losing two conference games outside of the Kentucky game, beating the Wildcats, but Kentucky still making the SEC championship, if that were their lone loss in conference play. That's one thing that has to happen. Kentucky has to win the SEC East at minimum. The second thing, the SEC West champion, in my opinion, I think they've got to have one loss. Because you look at a team like Alabama, I I think a lot of people would project Alabama to win that division right now. Let's say they have a loss. Heading into that game in the SEC title, if you beat Alabama, it gives them two losses. They are definitively out of the playoff. If you are Kentucky heading into that game against an undefeated Alabama team and you lose, you could potentially get knocked out, even though you were undefeated heading into that game. We've seen Georgia and Alabama both make the playoff in the past, regardless of who wins the title game. I don't know if Kentucky's going to get the same treatment. I would like to see that SEC West champion have at least one loss because I think it makes it a little bit easier for the Wildcats. Maybe I'm off there. I don't know. Truly, does it matter? I mean, if Kentucky gets to that point, I think a lot of people would lean on, okay, they have to win the the title game at this point. But if the SEC West champion has one loss, Kentucky giving them a second would would solidify them getting in the playoff. And I think it would honestly solidify the rotation with the other power five schools and we don't have to get into like the nuances of different team schedules and things like that. Speaking though of specific schedules, I think Clemson needs to shoot itself in the foot again. That's the third thing I think that needs to happen. Clemson, if you've not been watching is not necessarily a shell of what it was, but they're not getting consistent play at some of the positions that kind of brought them to where the program is now. And I'm specifically talking about their quarterback Interesting developments with the Clemson quarterback situation. Uh, I'm not really, really sure what's uh, what's going to happen there, what Dabo Swinney is going to going to end up doing. But you look at some different places that Clemson could eventually trip up, specifically their, where their offense could trip up. Games at Wake Forest, at home against NC State, at Florida State, at home against Syracuse, and then at home against Miami. I think all of those games are legitimately losable. I mean, shoot, any game is is. A, a, a losable game right anybody can lose anything but I think those five games specifically are, are, are games that Clemson could shoot itself in the foot and and I'm specifically to be honest with you as of right now looking at Wake Forest Florida State and Syracuse and I guess Miami but but yeah I think Wake Forest and Florida State are, are games on the road where Clemson could shoot itself in the foot get two losses get bounced from playoff contention Number four, Michigan doesn't win the Big Ten. I think this is one of the things that, that would be nice uh, for, for the Wildcats in their chances of getting in the college football playoff. Michigan doesn't win the Big Ten because you know that Ohio State will be getting, getting a look as the second Big Ten team, especially if the SEC title game features, features some wild things. Like, let's say a two-loss champion. For instance, like, let's say Bama loses to Tennessee and Arkansas, makes the title game, and beats Kentucky. And it would be more likely that Ohio State, I, I guess at that at that point, in my mind, would be they would be favored to get in over Kentucky. Michigan not winning the Big Ten I think is going to be important. I think it's going to be important that Ohio State wins the Big Ten, cleans house, and gets to the playoff. We don't need the Wolverines messing things up. The fifth thing here, the Big 12 champion has at least one loss. I'm looking at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in this one. I don't know who's going to end up winning the Big 12, but I think they've got to have at least one loss. They don't need to be undefeated for Kentucky to have a chance. It's really interesting what Kentucky does in the SEC title game and then how that affects what some of these other power conferences could do. But if Michigan doesn't win the Big 10, Clemson shoots itself in the foot, the Big 12 champion has one loss, and then the sixth thing here, if the Pac-12 cannibalizes itself like it always does, I mean, Kentucky with a loss in the SEC championship game, could be sitting there with still a very serious, uh, I I, I guess, plea to get into the playoff. But the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself being the sixth thing here, I mean, do we even have to talk about this? This happens every single year. USC has to be able to go down to a couple different schools. They're playing really well right now. That offense looks like it's essentially scoring at will. But I think it's very possible that the Pac-12 ends up kind of beating itself up, Utah, Oregon, USC. I think they they can slip up. The final thing here, the final thing here, none of these outside contenders, again, just to go through the list, Oklahoma State, Michigan State, NC State, Arkansas, Utah, BYU, and Penn State, none of those outside contenders goes absolutely ham here for the last 10 games of the season. We can live with teams being undefeated heading into uh, conference uh, title games, some of them as I've mentioned, as long as they don't look like they're all world beaters, right? We need these teams to kind of, you know, just work their way through the schedule, but not look particularly dominant. I think that's some, some, something that the college football playoff values, maybe not significantly, but eye test is certainly important. We need these other teams that are going to be good to just be good. Not great, but good. So those are the seven things that I think need to happen in order for Kentucky will not happen some of them need to happen some of them don't in order for the Wildcats to have a legitimate shot at the college football playoff. To be honest with you, it's seven different things and you go through and say Lance like this is like this is way more difficult than I than I thought it was. It's really not. I mean, some of these are just simply not required. If Kentucky wins out and they win the SEC title game, they're in. But if they win out and then they lose in the SEC title game, they still have a very legitimate shot but it bring some of these other things into factor, bring some of these other things into play. So it's truly not that difficult in it all, to be honest with you, to be completely honest with you. It comes down to one game at home, November 19th, in Lexington, against the Georgia Bulldogs. At least right now, it does. If Georgia loses to Tennessee and Kentucky doesn't, things get interesting very, very quickly. If you want to give your thoughts on Kentucky and the playoff, you can leave that in the YouTube comments below. I'm not predicting Kentucky to to go to the playoff, by the way. I'm not predicting that right now. I'm just saying that it's more possible than some people might think. All right. Before we look around the SEC East, kind of talk about some of these other schools that Kentucky's going to have to play, power ranking the division, by the way. I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Upside. For, from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts. And to be honest, it really, really hurts. That's why I started using Upside just a few months ago. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. And with every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. To get started, you can download the free Upside app, and you can use my promo code LOCKED, and you get $5 more or more on cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. You can next claim and offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit card or debit card, and you can get paid. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKS to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that's 5 bucks or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. I would highly encourage you guys to go check this out, especially given the state of what's going on. All right, moving along here on the Tuesday edition of Locked On, Kentucky Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. SEC power rankings, not for the entire conference, but for the SEC East. We're going to take a look around the division, going to discuss these teams in order from top to bottom. At number one, I don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on this, the Georgia Bulldogs. Their point differential for anybody out there wondering is currently plus 79 through uh, through two games. I can't even talk. I'm so stunned. Two games plus 79 scoring margin. How do you score, by the way, less at home against Samford than you do on a neutral site against Oregon? And I guess you can put neutral site in air quotes there because it wasn't really a neutral site. I mean, the game was in Atlanta. But anyway, point being, Georgia looks about as dominant as any team right now in college football. In fact, they, they leapfrogged Alabama in the AP poll. Talked about that on yesterday's show. They look like the best team in America right now. They're playing like it. Their offense looks... Surprisingly improved compared to what it was last year. I know they lost a couple pieces uh, on the offensive line at a running back, but, man, the Bulldogs look good right now, and it looks like things are going to shape up if Kentucky does not shoot itself in the foot. Knock on wood. Really, really hoping that doesn't happen. If Kentucky doesn't shoot itself in the foot, things are shaping up for a massive showdown second to last week of the regular season. At number two here in the SEC power rankings, Kentucky. The Cats picked up, I think, the biggest win of the week. I mean, this is not really debatable in my opinion. I know I know that Tennessee got a win on the road against Pittsburgh in overtime, but, I mean, a road in the swamp by double digits against a top 15 team in Florida feels like a little bit bigger of a win to me. I don't know. Kentucky right now, I mean, they're, they're playing through their weaknesses. I know that there are a lot of different places on this team where we came into that Florida game saying, that's a bad matchup, that's a bad matchup, that's going to be an issue, that could cost Kentucky the game and they're fighting through it. That's a sign of really, really good coaching. Some teams play through their strengths. It looks like this team right now and the Wildcats, they're playing through their flaws. They're playing right through them. They're just completely, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say ignoring them, but they're moving past them, and they're working through the best way that they possibly can. That offensive line was gelling right before our eyes during that game against Florida. That's definitely a good sign. And look, the pieces of the puzzle aren't currently all within the box that the puzzle came in. There are a couple pieces right now that are outside the puzzle box. And one of those pieces is Chris Rodriguez. And he's going to be back for week five. It's going to be huge. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but Chris Rodriguez will be back from suspension uh, week five against Ole Miss. That's going to be really big to have him for the rest of the season. Number three, moving along here, Tennessee in the SEC East Power Rankings. Tennessee, in my opinion, left a lot to be desired in an overtime win against Pitt- Pittsburgh this last Saturday. 34-27 to in overtime was the final score. The defense, I guess you could say, was horrible. It was bad in the first half. And on top of that, you look on the other side, Tennessee was one-dimensional. They couldn't run the ball. Something that made them really, really dynamic and really powerful in offense last year is they could establish the ground game. I mean, they haven't looked phenomenal running the ball through two games so far this year, and their first opponent was Ball State, so take that and flick it out the window. But to be honest with you, there are some things that Tennessee could do a lot better at if they're going to truly challenge for the SEC East. They've got to get through Kentucky. They've got to get through Georgia, but they have flaws. This isn't a perfect team. I don't know why people were hyping them up so highly heading into this season. I think Hooker Hooker's a good quarterback, uh, to be honest with you, I don't necessarily know if he is a product of Josh Heupel's offensive system. I think he's just a good player now, uh, especially since he's left, for, left Virginia Tech. But yeah, Tennessee, they've got some cleanup work to do, but really, really solid stuff to be able to battle back and win in overtime against the Pitt Panthers at number four out have Florida. Florida, talk about teams that have flaws. They proved that they have a ways to go under Billy Napier uh, whenever they played the Wildcats. I think this was something I said in the offseason talking about this matchup. This is something I actually said if we're going to talk about Tennessee here for a little bit longer. Eric Kane, host of Locked On Vols, we talked with him at length at SEC Media Days about why Kentucky looks better than some of these other SEC East teams, at least on paper in my mind as well. And I said, if you look at the two deep and you look across the roster as a whole, this team is deeper from a roster standpoint, than a lot of these other SEC teams. They've proven that they can be consistent compared to some of these other SEC programs. And on top of that, I think that they've got better top-end talent than a lot of teams in this league. I know that's weird to say, given that it's Kentucky football, but, I mean, you look at Florida, man. They um they have some question marks. Have some question marks at receiver. Have some question marks at linebacker, I think. And I know that we've got a couple of really good linebackers, but they they... They've got a ways to go. They've got a ways to go under Napier, and that's to be expected with a year one coach, but still there's optimism. There's a lot of optimism, but there's work to do. Anthony Richardson, we're going to talk about him later on the show when we get to YouTube comments. He's got to be better than what he currently is. We're going discuss, to discuss that for Florida, but I'm I'm very, very glad that Kentucky was able to shut him down and just kind of prove that, look, he's not an all-world beater. He's not Cam Newton. I feel like those comparisons should stop for anybody. I mean, the the next time you see a mobile, tall quarterback, don't compare him to Cam. Nobody's comparable to Cam. Some people are comparable to Dak Prescott, but it is what it is. Number five, South Carolina. Offensive line is terrible for the Gamecocks. I don't know if Spencer Rattler can perform above average because of that. I think that a lot of people were expecting a lot of different things out of South Carolina moving into this year. There was quite frankly, a bit of reserve coming from me and a few other national media types as the season began, saying, look, this schedule is going to absolutely destroy whatever expectations you have of the Gamecocks. And they still may be a very good team, but you look at it at the end of the day, they could be five and seven. They could legitimately be four and eight. But they'd still be be solid. They'd still be moving in the right direction. So don't freak out if you're a South Carolina fan that happens to be listening to this. Don't freak out if this is a bad year. But your offensive line, you got ways to go there. It's still a building process as a whole for Shane Beamer and company. Although I will say, this is a game that does still scare me. I know that, that Kentucky gets them at home. Spencer Rattler's still a good quarterback. We'll, we'll have to see, but the Gamecocks right now, not better than the Wildcats, fifth in my SEC East power rankings. At number six, I have Vanderbilt. You can argue with the wall. I don't care. This is not the worst team in the league. I know that they just lost by 20 to a top 25 Wake Forest team, which, by the way, brought back nine of their 11 starters on an offense that made it to the SEC, ACC championship game last year. It's a good Wake Forest team that Vanderbilt just lost to, and it was competitive for about, uh, I would say, 55% of the game. For Vanderbilt to do that, given the state of what they've been here over the past couple of years, is really, really solid. Mike Wright, not a phenomenal quarterback, but a really good athlete. And Vanderbilt doesn't have a whole lot of those. He has shown through these first three weeks, wasn't great against Wake Forest, but still, it's a good Wake Forest team. This is not the worst team in the SEC. At least right now, it's not the worst team. Let me tell you who is the worst team in the SEC. Missouri. Last in my SEC East power rankings. No signs of life whatsoever on either side of the ball. No signs of life. You saw that Kansas State game. 40-12 to 12 was the final score. They got bludgeoned by the Wildcats. I want to read here... The second half drive chart for Kansas State, or excuse me, against Kansas State for the Missouri Tigers. Again, these are all second half drives for Missouri in a 40-12 to 12 loss. Field goal, interception, 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 punt, punt, touchdown as time expired. Four straight drives, four straight interceptions for the Missouri Tigers. They can't run the ball like they did a year ago. Their quarterback is extremely turnover-prone. Brady Cook, the freshman, I was. I don't even know who else they put in that game. I just know after two interceptions they pulled him, if I'm not mistaken. And then on top of that, their defense is still not good. The run games or the run defense is still, it's kind of eh. It's bad. That's a team that Kentucky can definitely take advantage of. If we're talking about a sound Kentucky team that's not like elite in terms of talent, taking on some of these iffy Missouri types that just don't get it done in a lot of different areas. I mean, that's a a bad matchup for the Tigers. But it is on the road still, so who knows? Kentucky can always stoop and play down to their competition. I'm not saying that's impossible. Right now, I think Kentucky is the second-best team in the East. Vying for that first spot, especially after what we saw on the road against Florida. Surprised that game turned out the way it did. Really excited about the Cats moving forward. Those are my SEC East power rankings if you disagree. If the thing that you disagree with is Vanderbilt being the worst team in the SEC, Again, I don't want to hear it argue with the wall. Outside of that, you can give me your thoughts in the YouTube comments. Speaking of YouTube comments, I want to get to some of the things that you guys said following the post-game episode. Uh, I just wanted to read through. Nobody asked any questions, which, by the way, again, I want to reiterate, if you have questions that you want to be answered on the show, more than willing to talk about that, more than willing to talk about anything that's on your mind, you just got to leave them in the YouTube comments. Or, if you're listening on podcast, at Locked On UK. Is where you can find me. You can tag me. You can DM me. Ask me a question. I will more than I will be more than happy to answer it on the show. Give you a shout out as well. Your post game thoughts though coming up in just a second. Before I do that though, I want to remind you guys to please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I believe we gained we, we gained quite a few subs from yesterday's episode, the recap episode of Kentucky's win over Florida. Let's keep it going. Trying to get to twenty five hundred. Really, really excited about the direction of the of the show. Got a lot of different things coming in the future here. Kentucky basketball season's on the horizon, if I'm not mistaken. We've broken like 90 days left until we finally get to that. The Champions Classic against Michigan State, which I'm I'm gonna be at. If you any of you guys wanna wanna pull up, I'm gonna be there. But yeah, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're on podcast. I will read any review that you put out there, but I would prefer it to be a five-star review we are making moves on the podcast charts right now and i'm very excited about it let's keep everything going appreciate you guys subscribe rate review that's all you got to do all right wrapping up the tuesday edition of locked on kentucky your post game thoughts florida 16 kentucky 26 uploaded an episode yesterday recapping that victory if you want to go watch it you can find it on the youtube channel or on your podcast feed again wherever you get your podcast going to throw go through some thoughts here that you guys threw out. Going to start here with William Copper. Copper said, The matchup seemed to not benefit us because containing Richardson was so tough for Utah, but the mistake was thinking that Utah was actually the number 7 team in the country. The level of that athlete at Kentucky, particularly at linebacker, does not compare to Utah. Jordan Wright and J.J. Weaver are bigger, faster, and stronger than Anthony Richardson, and it showed multiple times during the game. A major difference was also the base defense. Kentucky runs a 3-4, giving us ranging linebackers to contain any escape routes. Utah runs a 4-2 with a rover and two middle linebackers. Not enough speed to contain Anthony Richardson. There's only one thing in here that I disagree with, but overall, outside of that, excellent analysis from William Copper breaking that down the different defensive fronts for these two different things. And yeah, he's right. Kentucky runs a 3-4 most of the time. They kind of It kind of played into Kentucky's strength what Florida wanted to do on offense, which is something that we didn't really truly think about. I was more concerned about how the defensive line was going to fare, but we saw Kentucky's linebacker step up time and time and time again in this game against Florida, make stops at the line of scrimmage, make sure Anthony Richardson was contained. And to be honest, he didn't run a ton. If I'm not mistaken, he only had what, four attempts, six attempts, somewhere around there. Did not really uh, have the opportunity to escape the pocket because Kentucky, like Copper said, they've got rangy linebackers. Weaver, Jordan Wright, West Jones, all really, really good stuff from those three guys. But the only thing I'll disagree here with William on is thinking that Utah was actually a number seven team. I still think they've got time to climb back to that ranking. I think Utah is a very experienced, well-coached team. Sounds familiar to the way that Kentucky plays. I'd like to see them in a bowl, actually. I think that'd be kind of fun. But yeah, I think that Utah's still a good program. I think that they're still a good team. Uh, Just because they lost on the road in a very hostile road environment uh, against a team that they didn't really know a ton about. I mean, that it it is what it is. So everything else, though, I think was spot on from Copper. Very, very good to point out the difference between those two schemes and why Kentucky was able to kind of break that down and stop things. But yeah, Anthony Richardson, we're going to talk about actually quite a bit here. Speaking of AR, Dale Dykes said this. Sentiment in Gainesville. This game exposed the limitations of Anthony Richardson in a big way. If you stop him from running, he simply can't pass. I think that there are quite a few people out there breaking down Anthony Richardson film that have pointed something out that I'm about to say. This is not a revelation. Go back and watch it yourself, and you will likely agree. Everything that Anthony Richardson throws is a fastball. If you're a player like him, you need to have different types of pitches, and I don't mean that. I do mean to kind of use that baseball analogy here, but... If everything that you throw has no touch on it, is on a line, it's just right out of your hand and about as hard as you can possibly possibly throw it towards the receiver, look, you're not guaranteed to be the most accurate quarterback. You're not guaranteed for that receiver to come down with your catch consistently. He was 14 of 35 for a reason with two picks. He's just everything that comes out of his hand is just zip and nothing else. He's got to be able to have touch. He's got to have different types of pitches and throws is what I mean, but you, you get the point. He's got to have different types of throws. Touch, he's got to be able to to air it out a little bit, put some air on it. He's got to be able to throw it as hard as he can sometimes, but that's not everything when it comes to delivering the ball accurately uh, to to, uh, your receivers. You also got to have timing. You got to have timing, something that he did not have. So I hate to say this, and some Kentucky fans may disagree with it, you know, I think that an excuse that Florida fans could use, especially late here in the in the year as things go on, it's like, well, Anthony Richardson actually is not that great of a quarterback because he's not learned how to do these different things that makes a quarterback a quarterback. You can have really good athletes. Like I said earlier, Mike Wright for Vanderbilt, he's a good athlete. But is he a true quarterback? Is Anthony Richardson a true quarterback? Is he just somebody that can get out there and run a little bit and has got a crazy arm? Athlete. Quarterback? I think that's something that Florida fans could legitimately use as, as an excuse here uh, whenever trying to fend off the uh, Kentucky fans that are saying, well, we still beat you, ha-ha. But yeah, Richardson, obviously a phenomenal athlete, though. I mean, we saw what he did against Utah, Utah, just an inconsistent, inconsistent, Kentucky found a way to shut him down, make him uncomfortable. We thought he, Kentucky could have a shot to do that, still pick the Gators to win, but uh, the, the Wildcats got it done. Rand Cobb. Said here. The pass from Levis to Dane Key was launched from the 37-yard line to the other end zone. When you do the math, that pass was 63 yards in the air. Plus, it was a perfect throw in order for the high-leaping Dane Key to catch the ball above the much shorter Florida defender. I don't remember ever seeing a Kentucky pass that long. Key was well defended but made a great catch with the Florida defender hanging all over him. I really, really like it whenever offenses stretch the field and I think a lot of other people do as well. But it's really, really pretty, and it's really, really nice to see highlights like that Dane Key touchdown where you max protect, you bring a guy in, shift him in to kind of bring that extra protection on top of the extra protection. You've got your one wide out wide, play action, you're going for the bomb, excellent protection from the O-line. Will Levis throws a beautiful pass on the money. Dane Key goes up and gets it right there in the middle of the field. Those types of throws, those types of plays and catches are beautiful. Whenever you can stretch the field, take those shots and actually cash in consistently, you've got a quarterback that can put the ball where he needs to, which by the way, I don't know if some of you know this, it's really hard to not just put the ball where it needs to be, but to time it accurately to where your receiver can go up and get it at the right point. It's hard to time that. It's really, really difficult to. And Rand Cobb does a really good job here breaking down the fact that this pass was a really long throw from Will Levis. He's got that arm strength. A lot of time in the air. Timing is really important when it comes to being a quarterback. Perfect throw. Beautiful execution. I love what Cobb said here, breaking this down. And like he pointed out as well, it was a it was a well defended pass. And the freshman went out there and he executed. And we said on the preview episode look, if something is going to happen in this game that may give Kentucky an issue outside of the O line. It's potentially, on the offensive side of the ball is what I mean, it's potentially Tavion Robinson being a non-factor, and they need other guys to step up. The tight end stepped up, and then Dane Key stepped up on that play. Inexperienced player making a huge, huge play. Beautiful execution. Love to see when offenses offenses do that. I hope Kentucky does it a little bit more this year. Jay Cook. Says, this is the first Kentucky team in a long time that actually played a full four quarters. They played the entire 60 minutes. Love to see it. Been a UK football fan all of my 42 years. Here's to another 42 Go Cats. First of all, Go Cats to you as well, Jay Cook. And I'm not going to lie. I think that this is one of the few times that we've seen Kentucky in a very long time play every single corner quarter and play it soundly and actually go out there and execute for the entire game. Although I will say there were moments in this game with the special teams, which I, it, it, was, it was so iffy that I don't even want to talk about it a ton, which I, I, think that it's, I don't think that's going to be a consistent theme, theme, so that's why I don't want to discuss it. But yeah, this was a game where Kentucky went out there and they, they just won. They won every single quarter. And it's really, really difficult to do that. Great teams do that. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, those type of teams do that, and I'm not necessarily saying here that Kentucky's in that realm. I think that they are far away from consistently being that. But if you go on the road, you beat a team by ten that was top twelve in the country. I mean, it's nice. It's nice to see it. It's a sign of what is going on uh, within that program with Mark Stoops and just the consistency that he's brought. Also, something else I want to point out. No, I guess, sure. Shade to Alabama. Alabama couldn't go into the swamp and get a, get a 10 point win last year with last year's team. And to be honest with you, they look pretty similar this year. They got a one point win on the road against Texas with their backup quarterback, the Longhorns' backup quarterback playing the majority of that game. Get a one point win. Uh, I feel just as confident if I'm Kentucky heading into the swamp on the road, heading into Austin on the road. I, you'll you'll see that matchup here in the future when when Texas moves to the SEC. I'm just as confident as Alabama, just as confident. All right, moving along here, we got two more comments. Ad Trevino 37 says, "Old Kentucky teams would have folded like a long chair after that safety." What he's referring to is the snap over the head of Kentucky's punter and just kind of rolling into the back of the end zone. I believe it was kicked out. If I'm not mistaken, I turned away, man. I turned away. I didn't want to look. But Trevino makes a good point. Old Kentucky teams, talk about playing a full four quarters, being able to bounce back from that, being resilient, and actually fighting through that and finishing, it's good to th- good to see. Good point there. Old Kentucky teams, this is, not, this is not your grandma's Kentucky team. To be honest, though, your grandma's Kentucky team might have been that Bear Bryant uh, stretch there. So maybe I'm wrong on that. Final point here, Great Kentuckian says, The defense kept us in, and the Gators out. Over time, as the offense gets better, we can stay in the top 15. I think we can stay in the top 10. I think this Wildcats team is going to be special. I don't want to get too hyped up because there's a very legitimate chance that Kentucky loses games to Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia, maybe fall to Mississippi State at home. I mean, there's no guaranteed win on the schedule, but I'm confident in the direction and the momentum now after seeing what they did on the road against Florida without some puzzle pieces Without some guys, it was nice. All right, that's gonna do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lancedall underscore, and you can follow the show on Instagram over at Kentucky Podcast. Again, any questions, comments, concerned, leave them in the YouTube comments below. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day and God bless.